Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Can I tell you how proud I am of you, how proud I am of our congregation, how proud I am of our church? Um, We are no strangers to devastation that storms bring here in southern Louisiana. And uh, there there is very real um, and very aware that just one degree difference in that storm could have put us in its path um, and not our communities and and neighbors uh, to the east. And I remember all too well back in 2016 when the floods came and so many homes across our area were underwater and of course we were right on the ground helping and everything else. Isn't it interesting how in a storm season, in a disaster relief type effort, that there's no longer white people and black people, Republicans and Democrats, rich and poor, there's, there's wet people and dry people, there's people with roofs and people without roofs, there's people with power and people without power. And we learn in moments like that that it's the dry people that help the wet people, the people with roofs that help the people without roofs, the people with power help the people without power. And I am so proud of our congregation that stepped up and is continuing to step up to help those to our east that are struggling. That's a bad deal going on over there, y'all. A bad deal. And dozens and dozens from our congregation and more from across all of our campuses showed up yesterday when I tell you that generators were given, food was given, help, hope, prayer was given to all these people. I'm going to show you just a quick video of what you were a part of yesterday. We're here with Pastor Ross of Bethany Church in Homa. Tell us what's happened, Pastor, with people in your congregation. Rain coming through the roofs, waterfalls in their living rooms, and uh, their kitchens sinking in. We need as much help as we can get in the next coming weeks, for sure. And once you're up on your feet, we want you to be able to raise up the army that God's given you here at Bethany so that you can continue reaching the precious people. Thank you so much. Uh, You know, I've been part of going out to help people on hurricane relief, but I've never been on the receiving end, and honestly, it's humbling. Pastor Matt, if you would just tell us just a little bit about how your church has been affected, how this community has been affected, how your family has been affected. Uh, They're saying probably six to eight uh, weeks before we even get electricity down here. Uh, we have people in our congregation, the local uh, hospital, the roof blown out, blew off. Uh, it, just about everybody has some type of water in their house. So it's just overwhelming. I told somebody the other day that I'm physically tired, emotionally tired, and spiritually tired. So we're just trying to take it one day at a time. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus. Thank you for the resources. We're going to continue to get teamed out here to take care of Pastor Matt, his congregation, and his community. Thank you again. We love you. Thank you for all you do.
that's why I'm proud of you. And we tell you every week, because of your generosity, not only are we able to reach people and build lives here within this church, but we're able to go out in the community and do that. Things like that don't happen unless people like you are willing to go out and do that. So for those of you that have gone, uh, thank you so much. I know many called and said, hey, I'm, at, I'm back at work, but Labor Day's coming, and I'm off work. What can I do to help? And if you'll go to loveacadiana.org, we've got teams that we're meeting all across Acadiana headed that way uh, to do that. Let us know you're interested. We'll get that information uh, to you so that you can be a part of that. Thank you for your generosity. Things like that don't happen without people like you. Aren't you proud to be a part of something so much bigger than, than just ourselves? We've been, in a, uh, we've been in a season where we've been learning about wisdom. We call it the summer of wisdom. Has, has that been a good season for you guys so far? Enjoyed the messages? Been pretty practical? Parents, have you learned anything? How many of you have worn out your, uh, your little ones sitting next to you saying, hey, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention? Uh, we've learned so much, you know, we learned this. Proverbs was written by Solomon, King Solomon, who was the son of King David, one of the most celebrated men in all of Scripture. How many of you know that'd be a tough act to follow, trying to follow King David? Um, imagine, parents, that you were to grab a pen and a paper and sit down and start to write the things that you've learned throughout your life. Are there a few things that you've learned that you wish you could pass on to your kids? Some of your kids are like, I know, Mom, you say that all the time. Imagine you were to sit down one day and start to journal. And then the next day, something pops in your head and you write it down. Some days you may write one sentence. Some days you may write two or three paragraphs of just wisdom and things that you've learned that you wanted to pass on to future generations. That's what we have in the book of Proverbs. That's what we have. It's a collection of wisdom, thoughts, stories, or examples that you learned along the way. We learned that Proverbs isn't trying to get us to heaven. It's trying to help us have the most fruitful life we can possibly have while here on earth. And we learned from Pastor Eugene that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What am I talking about? It's that kind of awe-inspired, take-your-breath-away acknowledgement that his way is better, his thoughts are higher, and we need to submit to them. And until we have that understanding, true wisdom is just out of reach. That's what we've been learning as we go through this. We also learn the importance of relationships and finding wisdom in God's word and through other people. And I want to continue today along that same thought of our relationships with people and share some wisdom that we find, not just from Solomon, not just from Daddy King David, but also from the Apostle Paul. Everybody say this with me, look-alike. What's a look-alike? Maybe you have them. Has anybody ever called you and said, hey, I saw you the other day? And you're like, no, you didn't because I wasn't there. You saw somebody that looked like me but it wasn't me. Does that happen to anybody else around here? You've got a twin running around Acadiana. I got this picture sent to me from a friend uh, the other day. He was having Mexican food at a restaurant. And he said, hey, I saw you at a restaurant. And uh, I said, no. I'm pretty sure that guy has at least 20 years on me, maybe even more than that. Do me a favor. Next time you see somebody that looks like me, but they're older than me, don't send that to me. Now, if you find somebody that looks like me and they're kind of swole, you know, been putting some work in the gym, you can send that one to me all day long. Anybody else have that? People send you stuff saying, hey, this person looks 
just like you. You know, true story. Any married couples we have here? Did you know that there is a phenomenon that actually takes place throughout the course of a married couple? And this is what it says. The longer couples are married, the more they start to look like each other. It actually happened. Listen, back in 1987, scientists from the University of Michigan actually set out to study this phenomenon of couples who grow to look alike over time. Like, this is real. I'm not making this up. Right. Here, here's some examples of married couples that look, uh, that, that look alike. It's true. Some of you are laughing. You, 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 some of those pictures look like your high school uh, yearbook pictures. Um, here, here's another one just to kind of give you some more examples. Of ma- Isn't that uncanny? How married couples? Do me a favor. Look to your spouse. You see yourself? Are you starting to be a little bit more like each other over and over again? Who, who in the room is not married? You say, Pastor Don, I'm not married. I'm not going to be looking like anybody else. Don't worry. It could happen to you too. Just with your pets. I'm, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. People, you... Some of, you, some of you look just like your pets and you don't know it. You've been around them a little too long. You're starting to look like, okay, one more and then we'll get back to business here. Some of you look just like your pets. How many, be honest, how many of you are going home and you're going to strongly consider rehoming that, that animal? Don't do it. We love that you look just like them. Just don't deny it. We can all see it. Um, here's, all fun aside, here's the truth of what I want to share with you guys today. You and I were made to be a lookalike. You and I were made to be conformed into another's image. We can't help it. We can't help it. Ever seen a group of teenagers who try to look so different? I mean, they try so hard not to fit in with anybody, just to look completely different, wear their own clothes, wear their own hair, you know, all those kind of things. Yet when you see them together, what do they do? They look just like their other friends in that. They can't help it. We can't get away from it. It is inside of us to conform. Interesting word there, conform. Look at Romans 8, 29. Here's what it says. For those whom he foreknew, you and I, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many believers. Say that with me. Conformed into his image. God made you and I, it's inside of us to conform, to be like another, and his desire is for us to be conformed into his image. Now, here's the big rock today. Here's the piece of wisdom that I want to share with you. Are you ready? If you don't intentionally focus on being conformed into God's image, you'll unintentionally try to conform him into yours. Think about that for a second. Talk to me. Are you going to look like Jesus or are you going to make up a Jesus that looks like you? Hmm. We see this all the time. It's more prevalent than you think it is. I know we're in church and we're holier than now and we read our word and we, we, we obey it and all that. But you may have had a conversation with somebody who would say something like this. Oh, I don't think a loving God would choose to send people to hell. And you may say, well, 
You're right. They, they get there of their own choosing. That, that's the God of the Bible. Oh, no, no. Maybe you've heard this. I don't have to change. God loves me just the way I am. True, but he loves you so much he doesn't desire you to stay that way. Right? So many times we can get in our heads that we don't like the truth of who God wants us to be, so we'll go find, pick, and formulate, and choose a God that makes more sense to what we want to live like, and then that'll be the God that we serve. We conform him into our image because we're unwilling to conform into his. It happens. It happens. Maybe you've had this conversation. Well, God supports my decision regarding my gender. It's up to me to define. Let's see what scripture says in Psalms 139. It says this. You are the one, God, who put me together inside my mother's body. And I praise you because of the wonderful way you created me. Everything you do is marvelous. Of this I have no doubt. Which God are we believing here? Here's another one. Maybe this will hit closer to home. You know those other people? We, we all know them. The, the other people? They, they struggle in life because of decisions that they've made. Not me. I got here because I worked harder than they did. I've, I've made better decisions than they have. That, that's why they struggle. That's why I am where I am. Newsflash, you got a head start. And that's Okay. Don't deny that you got a head start. Use your head start to help somebody else. Scripture tells us that we are blessed to be a blessing. Listen, one degree in that storm could have come right up through here. We would be the ones with water in our homes and no roof and all of that. We got spared. Nobody here could have done anything different to deter that storm. Nobody. God chose in his sovereignty that it would go that direction and may choose that it goes in a different direction. What are we going to do with the fact that we weren't in the middle of it this time? Are we going to conform into his image and bless others because we've been blessed? Are we going to sit back and think there's a God out there that I can make, that I can sit here and act like I did something to get me where I am? It's a challenge. See, very few people will deny that there is a God. Very few. But when faced with having to change into his image, hmm, it's easier to formulate a picture of our own God made in our image and just start living that way, isn't it? Let me tell you something, church, and I want you to understand. I love you, but if your brand of Christianity doesn't cause you to die to yourself every single day, then you're not serving the Christianity of this book right here. There is something about reading this word and looking at it and realizing, oh, I got work to do. I got work to do. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. George Barna did a recent study, and uh, you're going to hear more of this from me. It's a fascinating study. I'm going to begin to unpack it, uh, hopefully over the weeks to come. 69% of Americans, get this, 69% of Americans identify as being Christian. Of all those that he surveyed, as all those across the country, he walked up, how many of you would say you're a Christian? 69% of people raised their hand. Then he started asking them questions 
about things that they believed, ways that they thought God was, or ways that they thought things happened in the Bible, and all those kind of, and when he got down to it, only 6% had a biblical worldview. 69% of people say they're a Christian, but only 6% of those he surveyed lives actually lived up to things that we find in the Bible and in Scripture. That's a problem, church. And what we have, the reason why that is, is if you don't try to conform yourself into God's image, you will try to conform him into yours. And that's what we have. That's the challenge. The process of making us look like God, that's called sanctification. But the process of making Jesus look like us, what's that? Idolatry. That's right. It's a big deal. It's a a challenge. Here's some wisdom from Solomon's father, King David. He says this in Psalms 135. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. Made by what? Made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. And here's why it's important that we're intentional about being conformed into his image. Left to ourselves, you and I can make an idol of anything. If we're not intentional about conforming to being conformed to his image, we'll make an image up for ourselves, say that it's God, and go on living the way we've been living and never change. You ever driven a car with a bad alignment? Take your hands off the wheel and it kind of veers over. To, some of you are going to leave the parking lot right now and think about this. How do you have to drive if your car has a bad alignment? Both hands on the wheel with a little bit of pressure. Make it go straight, right? Can I tell you, for us, imperfect as we are in a fallen world that we are, that we're in, that's how we have to live. We have to live our lives with two hands on the steering wheel, pointed toward the direction we're supposed to go. Because if we take our hands off, society, friends, bad relationships will pull us in a wrong direction. We'll start to veer off course. You have to intentionally live your life in a way that points toward the truth of God's word. The enemy would love to keep you off course. Now here's the good news. The longer you do it, the longer you hold put, the longer you drive straight, the stronger we'll become and the easier it will be to steer and the straighter path that we'll be able to drive. You and I are called to be the very image bearers of God. Can you imagine how hard it would be to share with other people what Jesus looks like if we don't look like Jesus ourselves? God's called us to go out in this community. Guys, there are people in your neighborhoods, at your jobs, in your school, and in our community that will never set foot in this room, but they can see Jesus in you. That's what's at stake in the middle of this. If we're only able to impact this world for God, if we're conformed into his image. For the rest of the time we have today, I want to share with you three different ways that we're conformed into his image. And here's the first for those of you that are taking notes. We're conformed into his image through the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word. Not only is wisdom found here in the Bible, it's also the very image of God is found here. But listen, if we'll obey it, it will help us conform into his image. 
but you got to obey it. This book is not a buffet. What's your favorite buffet place? Tell me. Oh, nobody likes buffets? Nobody likes buffets? What happens at a buffet? You go up to the counter, you get your plate, you get your spoon, and you start looking. Uh, I don't like that. Uh, maybe. I'm going to see what else I have. Maybe I'll come back to that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's my favorite one. That's the one I came here looking for. I'm going to do that. And you load your plate up with all the things you like. And what do you do with the things you don't like? You leave them there for somebody else. Ever been to a really, really, really nice restaurant? I'm talking four or five course restaurant. And you sit down and you just sit down and they bring you something. And you didn't even order it. Matter of fact, there's no menus. It's just what they cook is what you get. And you finish that one. You work on it. And they bring you something else. And you start eating on that. And then they bring you something else. God's word is a lot more like fine dining than it is a little buffet. Or maybe it's like Mama Norman's house where you sit down and if you didn't eat what she put in front of you, you ain't eating. Anybody run your house that way? Yeah, absolutely. Here's the problem. God knows what's good and healthy for us. But too many people try to choose and they pick and they choose and they pick and they choose. And if you open this book only to find the things you like, You're treating God's word like a buffet and you're unintentionally conforming him into your image. You're saying, I like living this way. Let me go find something in this book that supports it so I can feel good about myself. Instead of reading here saying, God, what do you have for me? In order to line up, I need to change. The truth of God's word, but only obeying God's word will change us and conform us into his image. I have this written in the cover of my Bible. I wrote this a couple years ago. It says, this word is living, and I believe it can change my life. It's living, and I believe it can change my life. Look what Romans 12, verse 2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love the way the Passion Translation says it. It says it this way. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Is there any shortage of people who would like to know God's will for their life? No. Is there a short of people, shortage of people who are willing to let the truth of God's word come and change their thinking to be able to see it? Answer, yes. If we want to be conformed into God's image, it's going to take the truth of his word to do that. Remember Pastor Jacob's message just a few weeks ago? Why would God speak to you if you aren't even committed to obeying what's written in his word? I'd say it this way. A heart that is set to follow will never lack direction from God. The difference is, oftentimes, we go and want to ask God's opinion on something, and then based on what he says, we may decide if we want to obey or not. What if you approach life, what if you approach God with this perspective? God, whatever you say, I'll obey. I just want to hear from you. I bet you he'd lead you.
I bet you he'd talk to you. Amen? What if you were ready to obey before you ask? It's the truth of God's word that conforms us to his image. Y'all with me today? Are y'all understanding? Y'all getting something? Awfully quiet up in here. Either you really like it or you really don't. Good news for you. I'm going to keep going either way. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Number one, the truth of God's words here, how we're conformed to his image. It's also through the safety of godly relationships. The safety of godly relationships. Y'all don't miss this. This is so good. Inside each of us, God has placed an identity and an innate desire to be associated with something external. I'll say it this way. He has given us a desire to want to know who we are and a desire to belong to something. To know who we are and also to belong to something. And here's the problem. Whichever you give priority to will control the other. You will protect one at the expense of the other. Look at it this way. If you know that your identity is in Christ, and that's the most important thing, then you will guard that identity by making sure you're only associating with the things and people that reinforce that identity. But if you're convinced that belonging and being part of a group and associating and being accepted by the culture and the world around you, if that's what's important, you'll protect that at all costs. You'll even change your identity so that it lines up with what other people think of you. Two choices. To know who I am and to belong to something outside of me. Both of those important, but one will serve the other. Nobody talks about peer pressure anymore. When I grew up, that's all that seemed like we heard about. Peer pressure, peer pressure. I remember mom used to say, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, Don, would you do it? I don't know. My friends aren't jumping off bridges, mom. What's the big deal? I don't, I don't get it. Parents, can I help you for a little bit? Listen to me. Peer pressure is only as strong as your family identity is weak. Kids today who struggle with identity decisions of themselves or struggle with peer pressure don't have a stronger identity in themselves and in the family that they belong in. Pressure and opportunities and things come along and kids don't know who they are. And inside is this desire to be, belong to something else. And that desire, if that desire to belong to something else is stronger than the desire to know who you are, you will change who you are in order to belong. And I'm telling you, God wants it to be the other way around. He wants you to know who you are so you'll know where you should belong. We do it this way in our family, the the immediate family. Parents, dads especially, you have such an opportunity to instill identity into your children. We, we drive along down the highway sometimes and I'll just be thinking, kids, do you know how blessed this family is? Do you know how amazing it is that God has put us all together? I didn't choose to have you. God chose to put you in my life. Did you know how amazing your mother is? God, she cooks amazing, doesn't she? Man, I wonder what kind of things God has in store for your children because he decided to put you in our family. As a, fam- as a parent, as a dad, I'm, I'm constantly saying those things to my kids. Why? Because peer pressure is only as strong as their family identity is weak. We have in our living room, I put this together. We've got a picture of it, I'll show you. This is hanging up in my living room. It says we're Normans. We're a family that nurtures our relationship with Jesus daily. We openly share our faith. 
We reconcile relationships quickly. We make sure God's word has the final say. We actively participate in church, school, neighborhood, and community, and we never miss an opportunity to help. What am I doing by having this hanging in my living room? I'm telling my children, this is who we are. And if you've got a friend that tries to tell you you're not like this, newsflash, this is who we are. We were at a soccer game years ago, and we got a big crew. It takes us a long time to load up, and most of the cars had already left, and I noticed there was one car left in the parking lot with their hood raised, and I assumed they were having car trouble. And so we drove over there and got out and helped, and sure enough, they needed a jump, and we got them jumped, and they were going off, and my daughter was probably four five o'clock at the time and and we get back in the car and I say hey kids sorry that uh, it took us a while I wanted to make sure they could get back on the road and my four-year-old daughter says in never miss an opportunity to help and I said yes that's what we're supposed to do but can I tell you that family identity can take place in this room too society will tell you that there are people who aren't like you who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't vote like you, who don't listen to the same news that you look like. And they're the people, they're the reason why whatever it is is going on. Can I tell you in this room are the same kind of people who don't look like you, don't think like you, don't vote like you, don't watch the same news, don't live where you live. And if you know, because you've been in here, that there are people that are like that, but that believe you, you'll be able to defend yourself against those lies of the enemy. To come in and say, no, people aren't like that. Those kind of people, whoever they are, they're not like that. I sit next to somebody who looks just like that and they don't. It's that family identity of being in spiritual family that takes that. But if you desire so much to be a part of something else, you'll change the way you think and you'll allow your image to be conformed into that instead of creating an opportunity to belong to something that reinforces God's image. Are you hearing me? Y'all with me so far? We would take the kids to school in the mornings, and here's what we would say. All I would have to do is start it. I would would say, don't be deceived. And the kids would reply, bad company corrupts good character. It's so important that they choose the right friends. Kids, why are your moms and dads so, why, why are they so concerned with who you're friends with? For this very reason right here. They want you to know who you are. See, most of us choose our friends based on what we like or how they make us feel. Look what King David said. Here's some wisdom for you. Psalms 119, verse 63. David says, I choose my friends. I choose as my friends everyone who worships you and follows your teachings. That's who's going to be my friends. King David said, it's not just the people I like. It's the people who worship God and who follow his teachings. How different would your life look if you had different friends. And here's the truth we have to understand, church. Listen to me. You can change your relationships to protect your God-given identity or you will change your God-given identity in order to protect your relationships. Who you choose is so important. That's why I'm trying so hard to get you guys connected into a small group. Something about the relationships, the right kind of relationships that reinforce what God is doing in your life and if you'll make time for them they will help you 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 were made on a purpose you were made on purpose by purpose and for a purpose and I don't want to be the first one to tell you but I will but there's a real enemy out there that is after stealing your God given identity 
And the way he does that is by trying to convince you that you need to belong somewhere that you don't belong. And if he can convince you that you belong that way or you belong there, he's got you. Remember, if we aren't focused on being conformed into his image, we'll unintentionally conform him into ours. How are we conformed into his image? First, through the truth of God's word. Secondly, through the safety of godly relationships. And then third, through the fruit of faithful consistency. Stay with it. Stay with it. I'm not saying that this will be easy. I'm just saying it's necessary. Stay with it. Keep taking the steps. Keep taking the steps. Keep taking the steps. Those married couples we put on the screen earlier, they just didn't, they didn't wake up one day looking like each other. Shared experience. Shared emotions. Shared things that you walk with. Those are the things that help change and make the difference. It takes faithful consistency to be conformed into his image. You don't just wake up one day, read a chapter out of Proverbs, then all of a sudden you're wise. But if you were to wake up one day and every day read a chapter, after a month, you'd be wiser. After a year, you'd be wiser still. After 10, 15, 20 years of being in this book, letting it change you, letting it adjust your attitudes and your thinking and the steps that you take and the way you go about life, have you know, that's how you get wisdom, by applying it over and over again. Notice I said consistent, I did not say perfect. We are not capable of being perfect. But with God in me, I can do some pretty amazing things. You, you miss this a lot because you, you think, oh, well, Pastor Don just wants to have a bunch of people in small groups that I don't have time for that. And here, here's the conversations I have with people go like this. Man, what's God doing in your life? I don't know, Pastor, I just feel stuck. Well, what do you mean? Well, well I, I'm not where I used to be, but I see all these things that I still need to do to get right and I'm still working on them, Pastor. And, and I promise you, one day, when I overcome these things, then I'll be ready to join one of those groups or lead, lead a group for you. I just, I, I got some things to, anybody relate? I just got some things. God's not done with me yet. I'm not at a place to do that yet. And I feel stuck because my eyes are focused on where I used to be, and they're also focused on where I need to be, and I don't know what to do. My favorite uh, episode of The Cosby Show, anybody watch The Cosby Show? Growing up, Rudy has decided that she's going to quit school. And Vanessa, her older sister, is having fun at this idea and is joking with her and sitting at the table and say, okay, Rudy, I'm, I'm sure you've thought this through. What are you going to do in life? What are you going to do with your life with just a fourth grade education? Of course, Rudy has this all figured out, if you know her. She says, well, I'm going to teach third grade. <laughs> you know, it kind of makes sense. And we've got a lot of fourth grade Christians that are running around stuck. That if they would just help a third grade Christian learn what they've learned and walk what they've walked. Here's, here's what it looks like. Hey, yeah, I know. I, I've, I've been there too. And yeah, I know it's tough, man. I remember a time when I, I walked through that. But God was faithful. He, he helped me out. And you know, let's pray. Let's, let's continue to pray. And hey, yeah, I know that. Listen, I'm going to believe God for you. And, and what happens along the way? You start taking steps helping somebody else and you're closer to where you wanted to be. 
The difference was you've got to get your eyes off of yourself and onto something else outside of you to realize God can work in you and through you while you're helping somebody else. Being in a group is like miracle growth for your Christianity. I'm not, I don't get bonus points for the number of people that are in groups. We get healthy people in our congregation based on the number of people that are in groups. And if you wait until you've arrived, newsflash, you ain't arriving. You ain't arriving. I need every bit of what's been put inside of you during the first grade, second grade, third grade, and fourth grade of your spiritual journey because God will put somebody next to you who needs that. He needs that in you. There's actually a true scientific name for this idea of a lookalike. This name for when people begin to act and look alike over time. You want to know what the name of that is? It's called the social proximity effect. Social proximity effect. I remember being new to Christianity, coming in and realizing I had so much that I needed to do and so much to be a part of and so much to to try to figure out, and man, what do I say? What do I do? Lots of things in my life that probably need to change. I'm in church, and I don't know when to raise my hands. I don't know when to sit down. I don't know when to sing. I don't know when to shout or say, how do I do all of this? Anybody with me? It's, it's kind of hard to figure out. I was reading a secular psychology journal um, a couple weeks ago, reading about this social proximity effect, and I read something that I wish someone would have shared with me when I first became a Christian. I'm gonna share it with you this morning. This is what a secular journal had to say. It says, in many cases, you hardly need to worry about doing the actual thing you want to do. Instead, focus your effort on finding people who are already doing that thing and build relationships with them. Hmm. You mean to tell me that to be successful in Christianity, to take those first steps to start, I don't have to do a whole bunch of stuff? I I don't have to have it all figured out or know the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. All I have to do is just work on building relationships with other people who are doing the things that I wanna do and by being with them, I I can learn? Man, I wish somebody would have told me that. It would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of heartache and a lot of striving. Listen to me, church. You don't need to learn a new list. You just need some new relationships. God has a desire to conform you into his image so that when people see you, they see the Jesus inside of you. And he wants his word to be so much a part of your life that it just rolls off your tongue. But if you're not in God's word, that won't happen. You'll say well-meaning things that aren't true to God's word. God helps those who help themselves. It sounds like a good golly thing. It's just not in the book. No, I've been made, I've been blessed to be a blessing. God wants you to be conformed in his image and he's surrounded you with people who want to help. Ladies, you don't want to miss an opportunity to be here on September 19th of that women's night to hear Gwen's story and what God has done through her small group 
is no less than a miracle. Just months ago, I'm having a conversation with Gwen, and she's like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to lead a group. I don't know how to help people. I just, and she stepped out in obedience. And when you see what God has done, not just in those ladies that she's been leading, but in her life as well, Listen, God's a two birds with one stone kind of God. He's never going to do something in your life that he doesn't intend to do through your life. And so many of us are missing the next thing God wants to do in us because we don't have anybody to do through us. I want you to put you in relationships. I don't need a list. You just need the right relationships. I'm going to ask you today, if you're honest, how many of you needed to hear something that I shared today? Yeah. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God opens your heart, opens your mind, dispels the lies that the enemy has planted to keep you from walking with others. There are people in this room that need to step out and lead a group. I need an imperfect leader to lead some imperfect people. I need a fourth grader to help me lead some third graders. And I'm going to ask that God reveals that to you as we pray. Let me pray for you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for the truth of your word. I don't want to have the mindset of a God that looks like me and talks like me and and has nothing for me to grow and change. I want to continue to grow. I want to take those steps, God. I want other people to see you in me, and I'm willing to change and let go of bad habits, bad relationships in order to get there. And I pray, Father, for those that are here today that need to hear from you, that need that small voice to say, yep, he's talking to you. You need to step out and do that. I pray, Father, that you would speak. I pray it would be by the power of your Holy Spirit through these relationships that your kingdom is built in the lives of our people. Father, we're not after perfection, but we're after consistency. And I pray that you would do an amazing work in the lives of your people as they're obedient to your word and your call today to take that next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I spoke a lot today about God's best life for you here on earth. But can I tell you, I wouldn't be a very good pastor to you if I didn't tell you about God's best for you once you leave this earth. And here's the reality. Heaven and hell are real places. And people still go there of their own choosing either choosing to follow and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to be reconciled with God and spend an eternity with him in heaven or to live their own life by their own gods that they make with their own hands and choose an alternative is the only place that's separated from him. I want to share with you what Romans says in Romans 6, 23. It says this, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, the thing that is due, the cost to be paid for the sin in your life is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life, what is that? What is eternal life? What does that look like? John 17, 3 says this. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. You won't have eternal life if you don't know God and experience him, listen to me, as the only true God. Not the God that your friends say. Not the God that that show 
on television wants you to believe, maybe not even the God that your parents followed, but you will have eternal life when you know and experience the one true God for who he is as revealed in this word. And here's the second part of that verse. And eternal life is to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you have sent. Look at me. Knowledge is not enough. To know of God is one thing. To be able to experience Jesus as the son of God whom he sent, that's the best part for me to know that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die a death I couldn't, I couldn't die. To pay a debt that I couldn't pay. To live sinless in a way that I was unable no matter how hard I tried. And to pay that penalty on my behalf. But until you're willing to look at Jesus and not just know of him, but to experience him as God's son, as the Lord of our lives, as the savior that we need, and to know that he was sent just for you, eternal life will be out of reach for you. Jesus said it this way. He said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth that kind of happens when God flips a switch in your heart. This is who I am. This is where you are, and this is what I've done for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, I want to ask you that question. Have you been born again? If you left this world today and went into eternity, do you know where you'd be? Because I'll tell you, you'll either be in heaven with Jesus, having submitted to his lordship, asking him to forgive you, or you'll be in hell, away from God of your own choosing. It's very simple. I'm going to lead you with a prayer here in just a minute. First thing I would say is first you have to admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from this relationship with God. B, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent for you to pay that price you couldn't pay. And through submitting to him as your Lord, you believe that he is the Son of God. And then see, you confess him as Lord and Savior, that apart from him, you can't get there on your own. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, will you pray with me? I want to know that my eternity is set and sealed, and that when I leave this earth, I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. God has shown me some things today that I don't want to miss, and I want to respond to what he's doing in my heart. If that's you, can I ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. I'm, nobody's looking around. We're not trying to embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying with. Anybody else before we pray? Church family, we're going to pray this prayer together, and we're going to pray it aloud, and we're going to pray it together. Thank you, I see your hand. We're praying together because God doesn't intend us to do this alone. He wants us to do this together. Repeat after me today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home.
In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, let's give a round of applause to those who raise their hand today.